Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call at 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on their line of natural medicine products and how they can benefit your life every single day. Also, want to take this opportunity to let you know about the Artisan Holiday Drive going on now through the holidays. If you're looking for a way to help the community around you. This is a great opportunity. They are collecting coats, clothes, toys, non-perishable foods, blankets, and really anything else that might fall under the holiday giving spirit uh, at 2601 Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170 in Midwest City. Again, Artisan Botanicals doing great things for the community around them. And I I absolutely love that we can promote this holiday drive. So if, if you are able or have the means to be able to to give back and help this holiday season, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Again, coats, clothes, toys, non-perishable foods, blankets, uh, whatever you can give this holiday season. 2601 South Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170 in Midwest City. Once again, thanks to Artisan Botanicals. My guest covering West Virginia from BlueGoldNews.com is Kevin Kinder. And just to look behind the curtain for those that are, are either listening to this on the podcast stream or watching this on the internet stream, uh, this is the second time we're having a conversation today, Kevin. Uh, the first time around, uh, you know, we were breaking down a matchup that we were we were hoping to see on Saturday in Morgantown as far as the football game goes. Uh, shortly after we got done with that, we get breaking news that uh, we're not going to be watching a football game on Saturday. Yeah, uh, each team uh, having an outbreak, uh, you know, positive test to put them below the threshold to where each one could safely play. Oklahoma a couple weeks ago. Uh, West Virginia just now. So this one's not going to happen in 2020. have to look forward to it in 2021. So as far as, as I've had this, this question a lot, what happened with West Virginia? Because they, you know, we talked about this earlier today, uh, but we just watched them play Iowa state over the weekend. Uh, Oklahoma obviously just played Baylor. Uh, I've, I've had a lot of tweets today about like, what, what was the issue? Why was there such a, a giant spike from being able to play against, Iowa State on Saturday to not being able to do this one? You know, I'm guessing it's got to be just the natural progression of the way this thing gets transmitted. Uh, West Virginia had four players out that were on its traveling, would have been on its traveling squad for Iowa State. Those players did not make the trip. So as soon as they were identified, you know, they were quarantined, isolated away from the other players. There were some other players, to our understanding, on the scout team. You know, redshirt guys that have not been playing this year that were also involved. And, you know, I think it's just like most teams have experienced. Once you get to a certain point, you know, there's contact between players. You know, you can say, okay, they're not in direct contact in 15 minutes or whatever. But, you know, you know, there's contact in football. There's contact in basketball. So, you know, the chances for that happening, for having that rapid increase in the number of positive tests, and also in contact tracing, which right. we don't really know the full rules on who all gets ruled out for contact tracing. Could be there's more of those players than actually test the positive, but when you put them all together, not enough players available to play the game. Well, and, and you know, when you're less than 48 hours away, it makes it virtually impossible if you experience a surge, right? Oh, ab- absolutely. And uh, Henry, this wasn't West Virginia's fault any more than, you know, Oklahoma having to cancel or having to postpone it, you know, when they had it. it just the way these things are running their course and the way the rules are set up. You know, if you get to a point where you only don't have enough offensive linemen 
West Virginia's case, they were missing a couple of wide receivers and a tight end last week. You know, you, you would think that maybe that spread a little bit more. If you don't have enough guys at a position, you know, to field a team safely, to have the starters and a couple of backups, you just can't play. So this would have been the, the regular season finale for West Virginia. Obviously, Oklahoma still has Iowa State in the Big 12 championship, but is that it for the football season? Is there is there a plan to, to play a bowl if that's, if that's an option? Uh, the hope is that West Virginia will still play in a bowl game. They plan to do so. Again, you know, it's going to be a matter of having enough players available to play. Date of the bowl game also comes in there. If the, the week between Christmas and New Year's, when the majority of the Big 12 bowl games are, and those still be played, West Virginia still hopes to play in a bowl game. Obviously, it's going to be a different experience. You know, you're not going to have the bigger trip, the community things, all those uh, right. typical bowl experiences there. But you know, seniors want to be able to play that one last game. So. Yes, that is the plan for West Virginia right now. Yeah, at least at least know that you're going into your last game versus you know not even having to, to being able to experience that preparation, right? Just having it disappear. Oh, absolutely. And you know, there's the other item of you know that this game doesn't really count eligibility wise. So you have some players that might be thinking about coming back next year. You know, does this influence their decision? Hey, yeah, I'm going to get to play that one last game. That was what was important to me. A lot of different factors in there. But, yeah, I think people tend to overlook some of the emotional aspects of it for the players themselves, and you hope they get that chance to play. Well, Kevin, I I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule today to join me for a second time. Um, For those listening, they're not going to experience the first conversation, but uh, I do appreciate you. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. No problem at all. Part for the course in 2020. (laughs) No doubt. Kevin Kinder, (laughs) bluegoldnews.com, joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Uh, A lot of talk in the college football world about the college football playoff, the the decisions that the committee is making, uh, the final four, you know, does Ohio State even deserve to be in the conversation with the limited amount of games that they've played in comparison to some of the other teams in the country? Uh, You know, the eye test thing is always an interesting conversation. I, I said yesterday on the podcast this is a, an interesting year because if you ask me who the best four teams in college football are, I think it's the same four teams that the college football playoff committee has given us in the top four. I think Ohio State is one of the best four. When I watch them compared to everybody else, I think they're better. That said, you know, it, it comes into debate as to how meaningful the regular season should be and, and how much, you know, the resume, so to speak, should impact whether or not you get those opportunities. So, it's a fun conversation to have, and it's one of the reasons why college football is as big as it is. But I, I, I was thinking about this today because over the last couple of days, I've had a lot of listeners, a lot of you guys have tweeted me things along the lines of the, the college football playoff and the committee and the bias that they show and compared that to the BCS and the old you know non-bias uh, scenario that we had, the non-bias formula, I guess, that we had, which by the way, did include human polls. So take that for what it's worth. But I was uh, I was on Twitter today and I came across this account, which I follow, uh, but I came across this tweet and, and you can check it out. But I, I, should, I should note this before we start comparing these real quick. In the six years of the college football playoff, the BCS formula would have produced the same four teams in every single season as the college football playoff committee has given us over the last six years. So 
for the people that want the BCS formula instead of the committee, it wouldn't have mattered the last six years because they would have given us the same Final Four. Now, in terms of 2020, this is what's really interesting. The College Football Playoff Committee has Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State as our Final Four. The current BCS formula would give us the same Final Four, except they have Ohio State over Clemson. Ohio State playing less games is not nearly as important as the fact that they haven't lost a game for the BCS. So they have Ohio State at three, Clemson at four, simply because Clemson has lost a game. The amount of games played is not nearly as significant. And then when you start going down, you know, they have Florida over A&M. A&M beat Florida head-to-head, and I think that's what the college football playoff committee takes into account with those two teams in the ranking. But you know, the BCS, another big glaring issue between the BCS and the College Football Playoff Committee is the Big 12. When you look at the College Football Playoff Committee, they really appreciate what Iowa State has done, especially what Iowa State has done down the stretch and the Iowa State win over West Virginia. Iowa State moved up to number seven with that win over West Virginia last week. And certainly, if you are a fan of Iowa State or Oklahoma, Not that you have a great chance of making the playoff anyway, but if the right scenario unfolded where maybe one of those spots opens up, I think Iowa State jumping all the way to seven at least has to give you a little bit of hope that that maybe in a perfect storm, you would be able to wiggle your way in there. But Iowa State at seven in the college football playoff ranking, Oklahoma at 11, and then you look at the rest of the Big 12, Texas at 20 and Oklahoma State at 22. In the BCS formula, Iowa State is at 12, They're lower than Oklahoma is in the college football playoff ranking. Iowa State's the highest Big 12 team at 12. Oklahoma's at 13. Texas at 22. And Oklahoma State's not even ranked in the BCS formula. So, you know, when we take away the human element, if you will, the bias that everybody talks about, um, the Big 12 is not viewed very favorably. And look, we kind of knew that would probably be the case in week one of this football season when the Big 12 lost to a bunch of Sunbelt teams. So, you know, I, the the whole eye test part of the equation is taken out of, of this conversation when you bring the BCS into play and, and watching a team like Oklahoma who suffered two early losses without arguably their two best players. Um, you know, Iowa State obviously starts the season with a loss, and, and you can argue Charlie Kolar not being there was impactful in that one as well. But uh, the, the college football playoff committee is – much more favorable to the Big 12 in in 2020 and in the current scenario than the BCS ranking would be. But again, if you're arguing that one system is better than the other, as far as determining four teams, this would be year number seven, where if the season ended today, the BCS and the College Football Playoff Committee would give us the exact same four teams seven years in a row, every year that this thing has been in existence. So, uh, you know, I, I know that it's frustrating at times to watch the committee do th- do some of the things they do. And I've argued this multiple times. I, most of the time, I feel like they get it right, but the logic that they're using to get to the finish line is what seems to be flawed. So it's kind of funny that we all argue about the logic they're using to get us these four teams. But in the end, I, I think for the most part, none of us really disagree with who's in there. Again, there there are certain years where you can make that argument, and, and certainly this year, you know, with the games played scenario involving Ohio State. I know a lot of people have strong opinions about that, but the two the two have not been different. The two see, seem to see things um, pretty close to the same. And, you know, you almost wonder if the college football playoff committee is taking into account the BCS poll or if that's something they even looked at. I, I'm not, if they've 
talked about that in the past. I've missed it. I've never heard them address whether they would even look at a simulated BCS formula or not. But uh, I do think it's an interesting conversation. Um, you know, I know a lot of people feel like they want to see the playoff expanded to eight teams and maybe use the BCS formula to give you those eight teams. But, you know, again, if the season ended today, you're talking about Indiana, Cincinnati being in the top eight. Are they are they two of the best eight teams in the country? I find that hard to believe. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I think a Big 12 champion at the end of the day would probably end up in the top eight when it's all said and done. But is that a guarantee in that BCS formula? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it is. But, you know, I, I just, there's no, no part of me believes that Indiana is a better football team than Iowa State or Oklahoma. And, and the BCS has them all the way at number eight. Same thing for Cincinnati. I don't believe Cincinnati is a better football team than Iowa State or Oklahoma. Um, you know, the, the, the playoff committee has Iowa State over Cincinnati. The Sooners are still behind them, but I think with an Iowa State win and a conference champion, you'll absolutely see the Sooners jump the Cincinnati Bearcats. So, anyway, always love talking college football. Always love you guys' feedback. If you want to hit me up, feel free to do so at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter. Uh, My guest from PokesReport.com covering the Oklahoma State Cowboys is Zach Lancaster. Zach, what's going on, my friend? How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Um, This has been kind of a crazy day already as far as as the podcast goes and this week because I had just finished recording with my West Virginia guest today, Mm -hmm. and literally two minutes after we got done the Oklahoma-West Virginia game canceled. So basically, the preview where we broke down this game and talked about all the matchups in this thing, uh, thrown out the window. So, Isn't that, isn't that how 2020s work, though? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, it, uh, you know, you got to you gotta just uh, just roll with the punches, as you, as you know very well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's... This this year has has been difficult for a lot of people. It's it's thrown a lot of haymakers everyone's way, and and it's it's caused a lot of people to adapt and adjust and 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 try to figure out new ways of doing things. And and honestly, I I think the the best advice I could give anybody is is just try to stay strong. You know, stay positive, and and we'll we'll get through it. It'll be okay. I Absolutely. Promise. Well, I I, uh, I said right before we we started recording that uh, that you sound good. So for those that that don't know, you you had a pretty severe case of COVID and and uh, were sidelined for for a while. But uh, I'm glad you're back on. I'm glad you sound healthy and and you sound optimistic. Obviously. Yeah, I feel I feel really good. Uh, tested positive the first part of November. Uh, spent uh, spent a week getting a little bit sicker, a little bit sicker, and then uh, progressively got worse the next week. And spent uh, over a week in the in the hospital and two weeks recovering. And and I, I feel really lucky. I feel really blessed. There's there's been a lot of people. I'm no longer on oxygen. I'm I'm no longer having to use a walker to get around the house. And I'm driving again. I'm showering. You know, stand up showers again. And and, you know, I've, I've got an, uh, I got an aunt that, you know, she spent, you know, I think 17 days in the ICU and, and, uh, she spent two weeks in the hospital with, in therapy and, uh, trying to recover oh, and, and she, she's still on oxygen. She got out two or three days of the hospital before I did. And, you know, she's still on oxygen and I went to the eye doctor this morning and there's someone there that, you know, uh, one of, one of my eye doctor's colleagues, he's still recovering. And so it's, you know, for how quickly I've been able to bounce back, I've, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed and I certainly don't take it for granted. No, no doubt, man. No doubt. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, like I said, I'm glad you're, you're with me. I'm glad you sound good. And, 
let's let's talk a little football. Um, let's do it. I the, the Oklahoma State situation is weird to me because absolutely. You know, I, I get the frustration from the fan base. There are obvious reasons why the season didn't go the way that was expected. I think criticism of the head coach and the coaching staff, maybe in general, is fair. But like, it, it's so weird because I don't know whether you you just like how overall you have to evaluate it because in the grand scheme of things, when you talk about Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State, the job he's done has been really good. Yeah. But I, I think this is now the second time in a four year period where I think you go into a season with massive expectations and you you drastically fall short of those expectations. Oh, no doubt. And I, and, I, and that's fair. You know, and I, honestly, I think the, the quarterback situation is obviously much different than it was in 2017. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt that Mason Rudolph is top three quarterbacks at Oklahoma State all time. Probably number two right behind Mason Rudolph. Um, or behind, uh, excuse me, behind Brandon Whedon. And so you look at this season, you know, and, and and it ended on a it ended on a sour note. You know, you lose to A and M in the bowl game. Uh, it's a close loss. You know, the, the quarterback situation last year was was disappointing. You lose Spencer halfway through the year. He was he started out really you know he struggled, but then he you know progressively got better and better. Um, you go into it with a loss, but then you know what? A week or two after the loss, you have Chuba Hubbard announce he's coming back. You have Tylen Wallace announce he's coming back. At the time, it wasn't as big of an impact, but Radarius announced he was coming back and he turned out to be one of the best players on the team. You know, and so the expectations going into that, you return 10 of 11 starters and then all of a sudden COVID hit in the middle of, in the middle of spring football. So you have, I think it was one week, maybe a week and a half of spring football and then no, you know, you don't get to finish it out. And then summer is abnormal. You know, the players are back, but they don't get back till June and, they are, they're at home the whole time, so they're not even on campus working out before they get back up for summer. And the there's no summer practices, but the players, you know, in a normal summer are able to get together and practice and work out together. They couldn't do that, you know. And then there really wasn't a fall football, uh, per se, you know. And then you start the season a month late. You, you lose an offensive lineman to medical, reg, uh, medical retire. You lose two offensive linemen uh, to, to – you know, violating the team rules. So all of a sudden, before the first game, you know, before the before even the you know, you're out of fall camp. You're you're down three offensive linemen in the first game of the season. You lose two more offensive linemen. You lose your quarterback. You know, for the first three or four weeks of the season, first three or four games, uh, Chuba's banged up the whole time. You know, the offensive line continues to you know, it's just a revolving door. You're playing a lot of redshirt freshmen, young young guys. Um. Uh, this season, yeah, it's it's a disappointment, you know. And and I talked on my radio show earlier this week. If if I if I could talk to the seniors that are going into the NFL and the, the you know some of the younger classmen that may or may not decide to go to the NFL, if I had any say, I I'm I'm gone. You know, I'm telling these guys there's no reason for you to play. There's no reason for you to play against Baylor. There's no reason for you to play in a bowl game because. You know, you go back to before the TCU game, and I was talking last week, was there's still a chance to get into the Big 12 title game. Things have to go, you know, it's no longer in Oklahoma State's control. They have to, you know, they have to win out, but them getting in is no longer in their control. But there was still a chance. There's no chance now. You know, and I, from from a fan standpoint, I understand the frustration of, you know, Kevin announcing that he's going to set out, and, and you don't want your best players to, 
you don't want your best players to, to set out, but there's no reason for them to set out, you know, and, and going back, I, so I looked this up, going back to the start of Mike Gundy's tenure, the Cowboys have not, not including the bowl game, the Cowboys have not won the last two games of the regular season. They've won one or the other, or they've lost both. And, and with, with what Mike Gundy has done, there, there is no doubt that Mike Gundy has propelled Oklahoma State to one of the, one of the top programs in the country. Obviously, there's still a way to go. You know, you go back, I think two years or three years, and Gundy said they're still about 10 to 15 years away from, you know, perennially being a top 10 program. But I, I think they're, I think they're getting there. Obviously, the recruiting gets a little bit better each year. You know, they're not landing consistently four and five star guys, but you know, they, they bring in really good talent, but they're, they're still a ways out. And I, I understand the criticisms of Gundy. I get it because, you know, it's, they, they've been on the cusp the past four or five years of, of being in that title game or, you know, winning a, winning a big 12 title. And it, and it seems like they just, fall flat at the most inopportune time, you know, and, and I, I don't know if that, I, I don't know if you, this year you can blame, you know, I don't know if you can blame 2020. I don't know if you can blame COVID. I don't know if it's the coaching staff, just not preparing the players enough. Um, I, I just saw before, before I hopped on with you that Boston college announced they're not playing in a bowl game. The players voted, they had a team meeting and everyone decided that they didn't want to play in a bowl game because, they're just so mentally drained. They haven't seen their family since June. Right. Um, I know OSU players, they get to see some, you know, some of their players get to see their family after, after, after games. But I don't know if the mental toll has anything to do with it. You know, I just, this, this year has just been so frustrating and it, and it doesn't, you know, the TC, the way they lost the TCU, you look at this offense and they they have weapons. you know, you go back three or four weeks and the offensive line has, they haven't been the best in the country, but the offensive line has actually been pretty decent the past three or four games. So it's not like you can blame the offensive line on the offense not being able to move the ball. You know, you go back to the Texas Tech game, you know, the defense played really good but gave up some big plays. So, yeah, it's it's, it's really tough to try to put a finger on exactly what went wrong with this season. But I, I think you can certainly spread the blame all around for sure. Yeah, kind of one of those E all of the above type scenarios, which Absolutely. which is, you know, never a good thing when you have th- those sort of expectations because when you have finger pointing across the board, I think that's when you see a situation like TCU and and look, I don't know who's mm-hmm. going to play in the Baylor game on Saturday, but like my expectation is whoever plays in that game for Oklahoma State, it, I I'm kind of expecting kind of a flat product. I don't know how this team I, I think experiencing everything they've experienced now and watching all of these preseason expectations go up in smoke is able to, to rally to the point that you see them playing their best football. Yeah. And it's, and I think you're right. And it's a, it's a tricky situation because, you know, going into this year, I I don't think it was a guarantee, but just, you know, before, before the offensive line problems in August, you look at this team and, and obviously Spencer had to make the, he had to make that leap up from, from last season. But you look at what the defense has done this year combined with the offensive firepower and the, the offensive line, you know, back in August, this, this team had a legitimate chance to make a college football playoff. 
you know, I, it, 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 they, they easily, you know, they, they had a, a really good chance of winning a big 12 title. And I think you combine those products that the offensive line doesn't have issues. You know, you don't, you don't have a starter retire. And even, even with that, but if you don't deal with the injuries and, and stuff like that, you know, and I, it's it, a lot of ifs and, and what's and, you know, so it's, but they I, they had a legitimate chance, I think, to, to make a college football playoff. And, and now you're going into the last game of the year, which is a week later than you originally had scheduled this game uh, or scheduled the season out. I know you're supposed to play, play them in October, but you're setting it six and three, you know, with, with zero chance of making a, a Big 12 title game. You're looking at, you know, at least three guys that are going to be going and you're going to be losing three pretty – pretty good guys to the NFL and there's a chance you could have several more this this team next year is going to look vastly different and and so yeah I it, it's it's weird going into this game because I'm, I'm with you I don't know who's going to play I don't have I don't have someone sitting here saying okay well this guy's not going to play this guy's not going to play but there's a chance there's there you know like with like with Tevin you know Tevin hurt his back against Oklahoma and a week later you know, Tevin, Tevin's going to make a ton of money in the NFL and there's no reason for him to risk it. You know, that's a back injury is pretty right. serious, but you look at, you look at Thailand, you know, Thailand, uh, kind of tweaked his, the, the knee that he tore his ACL in last year. He tweaked it last week against TCU. If I'm, if I'm Thailand, I don't want to re-injure that because if, if he, if he severely injures that knee again, what are NFL scouts going to say? What are the GMs going to say? They're going to say, well, we don't know if you can stay healthy. Thailand's worth a ton of money. They lost Rodarius Williams last week to injury. You know, so if I'm, I, I think there's still a lot of talent on this defense, and I, I there's a lot of talent on the offense. But you're playing in a, you're, they're going to play in Texas. You know, they're going to they're going to play in the Alamo Bowl or the Texas Bowl or, you know, some some cruddy bowl. There's there's really nothing big to play for right now, and and honestly, it's not even really. A traditional bowl year. There's going to be none of the pageantry. There, the the stands are virtually going to be empty. So I, I'm with you. I don't I don't know how this team's going to play, but I don't. And, and Baylor's got a better defense than TCU does, so it's not like yeah, no, it's doubt. not like they're playing Kansas this week. Yeah. So it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what this offense and and well, this whole team can do really. I I don't think Gundy is going anywhere, and I'm not suggesting no. that Gundy should go anywhere, but. I think the conversation about if that were to happen is really interesting because every time it's brought up, I, I hear the argument that, you know, Les Miles was here, the first team that came calling, you know, he was out the door, and that's going to be the case with anybody that's not an Oklahoma State guy. And my argument to that is, is A, if LSU calls 95% of the schools in college football, Absolutely. talks to their head coach, LSU's pulling your head coach away from you no matter who you are other than a handful of other schools in the country. Yeah. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is if if you think Oklahoma State is the same program that it was when Les Miles left, then you're obviously discounting anything that Mike Gundy has done over the last 16 years because clearly the program has been elevated to a completely different tier of college football than it was at that point. And look, we're giving Les Miles credit for getting that ball rolling, but it was Gundy and an injection of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars that, that sent it to the next level. And, and so I just, I don't think that we're talking about the 2003 
hire of, of you know, a head coach that's at Oklahoma State the same way we're talking about it in 2020. And obviously, with the amount of money that Oklahoma State has paid Mike Gundy, they've shown that if you have success, you're going to get paid at Oklahoma State. It's not as though they're just going to, you know, just pay you a million dollars a year and tell you to suck it up because it's Stillwater, Oklahoma. I, I, it's just... It's funny to me that people just continually go back to the whole Les Miles situation when clearly it's a completely different conversation to be had if if that were to ever happen. Yeah, apples and oranges for sure. Because where you look at the program when, when Les Miles took over and you look at the program now, look at, look at this season. Every single game that Oklahoma State played this year was either on ESPN, ESPN1, or ESPN two rather and Fox. You know, I think I think last week's game was on ESPN two, and then this week's game I think is going to be on ESPNU. So that's that's a little different. But you know, it, it wasn't like they played you know a lot of their games on FS one. You know, the Bedlam game was on ABC. Mike Gundy, with what he's done with the program, has turned Oklahoma State into a national program. It's it's no longer. You know, well, we're going to have two to three games a year. Like if we play Texas, if we play Oklahoma, that's going to be on national TV. Every single game is on national TV, and you look at you look at the kids that they're recruiting now. When Les Miles was recruiting, the kids that he was recruiting, and even the, for the first four or five years that that Mike Gundy was recruiting, those kids all they knew about Oklahoma State was that they were a losing program. They might have, a, you know, they might have a six-win season. They might have a seven-win season. Every single kid that that Oklahoma State is recruiting now has grown up watching successful Oklahoma State football, winning seasons, ten-win seasons, big bowl game seasons. So, I don't think Mike Gundy's going anywhere. The only way Mike Gundy goes somewhere is if, you know, he, like next year after this year, if they have a losing season, you know, or they fail to make a bowl game or. Or whatever, and he, and even then, to be honest with you, I, I don't think Oklahoma, it, unless he has consecutive horrible, horrible, horrible seasons, I, I think the only way Mike Gundy leaves Oklahoma State is if Mike Gundy leaves Oklahoma State. I, I don't think the university gets rid of him um, unless there's some horrible scandal or, like I said, he has multiple losing seasons. But Mike Gundy has made has turned Oklahoma State into a program that you can get a good up-and-coming coach or you can go out and you can get a, a moderately successful coach and he's going to stay at Oklahoma State for a while. You know, you go back to Les Miles' days and the first three or four years of Mike Gundy's tenure as head coach and Oklahoma State was a stepping stone school. You know, that Oklahoma State is no longer a stepping stone school. And and it's I, I, the, the way Oklahoma State, the fan base is and the university, it's it just has a feel that they're going to go out and bring someone back that has some kind of tie or that played at Oklahoma state. You know, I, I, you look at like, there's several people that want Josh Henson as head coach. I think Josh Henson's a little bit out from being a head coach, but once Mike Gundy's gone, it's probably going to be an Oklahoma state tie guy. And I think you hit it right on the head that if LSU or Alabama or Notre Dame or any of those big time programs calls anybody, they're going to take that job because they're going to get four or five million more dollars and they're going to consistently be able to recruit four and five star kids with ease and not really have to do anything. So it's, it, it's a sticky situation right now because you look at Mike Gundy and there have been some disappointing years, you know, recently. Uh, and 
I, I understand that frustration, but I, I you look that you know, and I mentioned this as well. There's two types of Oklahoma State fans right now, and there's nothing wrong with either one of them. But you have the old school fans that grew up here in the O ten and one days and the losing seasons and the probation years, and and they're happy with a winning season and a bowl game. They're, they're, the they're, afraid, they're so afraid of going back to that that they will settle yeah. for you know just absolutely nine and three. They're yeah. the they're the ride ride or die loyal and true doesn't matter i'm gonna buy my season tickets because we're winning football games and then like i said with the recruits they're recruiting now you have the new age fans that have only known oklahoma state success and oklahoma state has yet to get over that hump and the entire time they've been oklahoma state fans it's been mike gundy and mike gundy has yet to get them over the hump so obviously mike gundy is not a good coach right i mean that's 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 what you're hearing and I, I, and you get a lot of bickering back and forth. I know you've seen it on, on Twitter the past week or so. <laughs> it's one fan base against the other portion yeah. of the fan base, just button heads, and Mike Gundy's got to go. Mike Gundy's got to stay. But I think you have to look at it, and what Mike Gundy has done to this program has is, is nothing short of miraculous. Can Mike Gundy get Oklahoma State over the hump? I don't know. He's had two really good chances, but I, I certainly think that for the time being, Mike Gundy is the right guy for Oklahoma State. Now, ask me that in a couple of seasons. But, you know, and I don't think Mike Gundy has a lot of time left. You know, we, we heard that Mike Gundy doesn't really want to coach past 60. Well, he's in his 50s. So I don't, I, I, I think Mike Gundy's here until the end. I, I think he's here until he decides to leave. Yeah, I, I always feel like they're like people are arguing two different things when they talk about Mike Gundy because I think two one, separate arguments. Yeah, absolutely. one side is arguing that Mike Gundy has done a good job over the course of his career, and and that's absolutely true. And then I think the other side is arguing that Mike Gundy has taken this team as far as he possibly can, and that you sure. know if you're if you're not going to go to that next level, like it, it might be time to to look for the next guy. I don't think anybody like just looks at what Gundy has done and says he's done a bad job because that's completely untrue. But like I, I threw this number out uh, a week ago, Mike Gundy hasn't lost less than three games in a season since 2011. Like yeah. that's the, the best season he's had in, in almost a decade now is a three loss season. So like, is, is that a bad thing? No, a three loss season isn't a bad thing. A lot of teams celebrate that, but you know, it, it, I think it just depends on where you want to set that bar. And if, if you want to talk about Oklahoma State being one of the best programs in the country over the last decade, from a winning percentage, that's absolutely true. But you start to really look at what happened in 2011 and next year being the 10-year anniversary of that. And when you start to put that into perspective of it's been a decade since you won a conference title, we're now about to go into another Big 12 championship game that's going to feature the fifth different Big 12 school mm-hmm. to appear in that thing without Oklahoma State being one of those. And and then the failure, even when Oklahoma State did win that conference title and Oklahoma and Texas were both down to capitalize on that and win multiple, I, I think it's completely fair to say Mike Gundy's done a tremendous job. I mean, a, an all-time great coaching job. At the same time, it feels like he's probably taken them as far as he can. Yeah, I mean, it has that feeling, right? You know, and, and I think that's it. Oklahoma State with what Mike Gundy has done is absolutely a double-edged sword because you look at you look at what he's done, and he's he's one of the best coaches in the country for for what he's done for Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy, he's he's going to be a college football Hall of Famer. There's no doubt. He's going to go into the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. He's going to get a statue outside of Boone Pickens Stadium. You know, he's going to be one of the most celebrated coaches of all time. But like you just mentioned, you know, 
most there's there's a good amount of teams in the country that would probably commit murder to consistently yeah. have three or less wins in a season. Yeah, they they would they would do anything they could to get three wins, you know, or uh, less than less than three or less losses in a season. So, but when you've done it for so long, uh, the the logical next step is consistent Big Twelve titles appearances in a national title game going back to the BCS era, you know, making the college football playoff, you know, a couple of times since the inception of the college football playoff. And it just, it hasn't happened. You go back to 2000 and 2017, arguably one of the best offenses Oklahoma State's ever had. And they fall flat against Oklahoma. You know, how, how many times has OU celebrated winning a big 12 championship in Stillwater? You know, I mean, it, it, they just, they can't, and you go, this year, this this is arguably, you know, and obviously a lot happened, and they're setting at six and three, and they struggle to move the football. But before this season started, this arguably had the chance of being one of the best teams, all-around teams yeah. in, in Oklahoma State history. The defense is certainly one of the best defenses in school history, you know, and they're on the field 80% of the game, and they're still getting it done. You know, so it's, I definitely understand the frustration. You know, when is Oklahoma State going to take that ne- next leap? And and I, I'm not criticizing Mike Gundy, and I'm, 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 but I'm not a mouthpiece for Mike Gundy. But I, I don't know if Mike Gundy can take Oklahoma State to that next level. And I'm, and I, and I'm not saying that he's a failure. You know, I just it's, it's, a, logical, it's a logical thought process. You know, and it's a logical question. Can he get it done? He's had two really good opportunities, and there's just mistakes have been made that are just complete head scratchers. They just they don't make sense of how they ended up losing certain games. You know, TCU and Texas are right. two prime examples this year. So I, I don't I don't get it. Hey, before I let you run, uh, speaking of the postseason, uh, this Oklahoma State basketball team all of a sudden uh, has to feel really good about uh, the 2020 season. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so I've gotten a lot of questions the past couple of or the past uh, 24 hours or so since I put out our article uh, on postreport.com. Tom Lenardi tweeted out yesterday that, um, or excuse me, Joe Lenardi tweeted out yesterday that the NCAA. Uh, has put a stay on Oklahoma State postseason ban. And the the question I've been getting a lot is, well, I thought that was already the case. I thought they were already eligible. Well, technically they have been ineligible, but Oklahoma State, if the appeals didn't, like if if the appeal process wrapped up sometime during the season and it was the postseason ban was upheld, then I was told by someone, um, I was told by someone inside the program, inside the athletic department that, Oklahoma State was going to pursue similar circumstances like Memphis did with James Weissman. They were going to file a restraining order against the NCAA, and they were going to play in the postseason if they were eligible. This now means that they are el- the NCAA is deeming them eligible for you know until they come up with that appeals decision. So uh, the the athletic department members of the athletic department will travel up to Indianapolis. Uh, the first week or so of February to argue the punishment. They, they can no longer present facts or, or anything uh, to try to um, 
try to help the appeals process because that's already it's already happened. The, the punishment has been passed down, so they're going to go up and argue the punishment, uh, and that that'll take place sometime in February. Um, but Oklahoma State has done a great job of really dragging this process out, and then obviously COVID that situation has has only helped Oklahoma State drag it out a little bit more. Um, but you look at you look at the way this team is playing now, and obviously they need to work on their perimeter three defense, and they need to work on turning the ball over a lot less. But they get a little bit better each game, and they beat a Marquette team that beat the number four team in the country. Um, this team is is incredibly athletic. Cade Cunningham, we knew what he was going to be about, uh, but we're getting excellent play from Rondell Walker. They're getting excellent play from uh, Bryce Williams. You know the the sophomores. Uh, I've Caleb and Keelan Boone. Keelan is a big surprise to me this year, leading the team in rebounds. Who'd have thought? Uh, Isaac Likely is is just as dynamic as he was last year. Uh, I think he if he can get to where he was pre-mono last year, then this Oklahoma State team is going to be incredibly dangerous. Uh, Big 12 plays a different animal, obviously, the non-conference play, but but I like this Oklahoma State team. I like their athleticism. I love their defense. Um, they get a little bit better each game, and, and I think as the season progresses, once they get into conference play and they get used to that pace of play, then, then I think that's only going to be beneficial for this team. And and I think I, I don't I don't know if there's going to be a decision before the end of the season. It has a feeling that it's going to probably drag out until after the season. Um, so they'll be eligible, and I, I think they're going to make a lot of noise. I think this is going to be a really fun team to watch throughout Big Twelve play. I'm just excited to see what Cade Cunningham looks like in in about two or three months when he has Absolutely. a bunch of college basketball experience to match the skill level because you're seeing it right now. The guy's clearly the best player on the floor. Everything he yeah. does looks easy. At the same time, you can also see where there's so much room for improvement as well. So, like, it's it's kind of the the perfect scenario where he is dominating. You do get to see the entire skill set, but you're also watching it, understanding that there's so much room for him to improve that he's going to be scary, I think, by March. Yeah, you watch it, you know, and, and that's I, – I, what, I, what I love about him is he, he tries to create for other teammates first. You know, he's, 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 try, he's, a, he's trying to generate opportunities. You know, he's trying to lead this team uh, that way. You know, and he makes, the, like you said, room for improvement. There's, there's odd turnovers, you know, ball handling turnovers, uh, some sloppy passes. But then on the other hand, I don't know if Oklahoma State has ever had a player as dynamic that can turn it off and on like Kate Cunningham. You know, by the end of the game last week, uh, earlier this week against ORU, I had no idea that Kate Cunningham was setting the 29 points. It's, it, it's a quiet 29, but then he goes out and he steals the ball, you know, he steals a pass and he gets a, a fast break and he decides midair, oh, I think I'll do a windmill. Like, it just, he's so incredible that I, I think that, that Kate Cunningham is, is going to help change the face of, of Oklahoma State basketball. I, I think what it's going to do is it's going to help generate, uh, it's going to help generate interest in this program. And, and what Mike Boynton has done for this program in, in three short years is, is incredible. He, you know, he's, he's turned around a program that, you know, was reeling after that NCAA investigation and you lose Brad Underwood a day or two after coming back from the NCAA tournament and, and, and he signs a top four recruiting class three years into being a first year head coach. 
I, I mean, yeah, Illinois is the number six team in the country, by the way. Which uh, Illinois, man, I, hmm, seems I seems never curious to me. Never saw that coming. They go from from losing nearly every single game to all of a sudden having several of the best players in the country. Haven't been to the tournament since 20, 2013, by the way. Seems a little fishy, doesn't it? I guess I guess that that Illinois is a good basketball program, but. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting if the NCAA is Certainly paying any no attention accusation. at all. I, I think that uh, they got to be well, they're, they got to be wondering what's on going Oklahoma on there. State. Yeah, all their all their attentions on Oklahoma State right now. <laughs> right. You you get LSU with a hand slap. You know, it's like oh, that's pretty yeah. similar to what happened. But Oklahoma State had zero on the court benefit, so don't know. Do with that what you will. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's gonna be fun, man. Kate Cunningham is is uh, the real deal, and and uh, they're they're a fun team to watch. And you know, like you said, bunch of young guys that that play their asses off. But I think you're just gonna continue to watch them well, develop chemistry and and just get better. So, I, I think someone that I'm there two guys that I'm incredibly excited about watching throughout their career, and they're they're multi year guys. They're not guys like Kate that are gonna go into the league this year. But Matthew Alexander Moncrief and Rondell Walker. Those those are guys you build a program around, and and I think those I think Ma is probably going to be end up being the best player in this 2020 signing class. Obviously, Cade is, is a freak of nature, and he's going most likely number one overall in the NBA draft this upcoming spring. But 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 I think I think Moncrief is going to end up being the most beneficial player for Oklahoma State, and and Rondell Walker has proven to just be absolutely electric. So I, I think the future right now. Is, is really bright for Oklahoma State, no doubt. Zach, always appreciate it, my friend. Glad you're doing well. You sound great, and we'll catch up again soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, anytime, always love doing it. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Zach Lancaster with PokesReport.com joining me on the Colby Daniels Podcast. And that is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Once again, check out their line of natural medicine products. You can visit the website abotanicalcompany.com. You can order online. It's easy and safe pickup. So do yourself a favor and, and educate yourself on how they can make you live a better life. Uh, also, just a reminder, the Artisan Holiday Drive is currently going on. They are collecting items uh, through the holidays, 2601 South Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170 in Midwest City, collecting coats, clothes, toys, non-perishable foods, blankets, and anything that falls under, I guess, the, the holiday umbrella, if you will. So if you have the means to be able to give back, it's certainly appreciated this holiday season now more than ever. So I, I'm really happy to be a part of this with Artisan Botanicals. And again, you can drop that stuff off, 2601 South Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170, in Midwest City, the Artisan Holiday Drive. All right, uh, if you want to hit me up, you can do so on Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. Everybody stay safe, have a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.